So it's Lawrence Lever, CityWire. Frank Talbot, CityWire. Nigel Bolton from BlackRock. Lucy MacDonald, Alliance Global Investors. Mark Dowding from Blue Bay. Piers Hillier from Royal London Asset Management. Guy Munson from Saracen Investment Management. Should we talk about the next 20 years? What do you think is going to happen? We're 20 years old. Lots have changed. What, or maybe, maybe I mean, you can, you, can, you can shorten the time period if you like. Well, it's quite funny, isn't it? If you think about what was 20 years ago yes. now, it was 1999, top yeah. of the bubble, which seems, yeah. you know, in some respects, only like yesterday, but it's 20 years ago. Mm. And Piers, I think you had the stat earlier. We were talking about what the FTSE had done over the last 20 years. Yeah, 6% nominal return um, over 20 years. That's an amazingly low number for 20-year return. So I would hope that over the next 20 years, actually, your return would be higher uh, than the 6%. I think the challenges we face, we all know what they are. Climate change is probably number one because it's the top, of the top of the charts at the moment. I think also, and I don't think it's going to take 20 years, we're going to move from an environment where maybe capital has been the most important thing in the financial markets or in the political system to actually to labour. And I think you're seeing that switch already starting to happen. What does that mean? It means you're probably going to have more fiscal spending. You're probably going to have, I suspect, higher taxes. And we're probably also potentially, maybe inflation even starts to rise a little bit over the next few years, which we haven't really seen for a long, long time. Because I think there needs to be a rebalancing between capital and labour. Inflation isn't priced in at all, is it? I mean, most people have sort of written it off as a, as a likely scenario in the future. Have you modelled you know, the likelihood that we might start to see some of it in? I mean, I think digitalisation is one of the, the factors which has been coming through and has meant that, that the models have been so far completely you know, wrong um, on, on inflation. It's not the only reason, but it is, is one reason. And, and to me, looking forward you know, 10, 20 years, that's still going to be a major factor around, you know, growth uh, around um, labour, around um, you know, profits of, of companies, and it's going to be a big political issue as, as, uh, and social, deciding which of the automated jobs are allowed to stay or not. And so to me, looking forward, that's going to be you know, one of the, the major things that, that we have to deal with as investors, but also as a society on top of you know, climate and politics and everything else. Yeah, I, I strongly suspect that there, there will be a point uh, where inflation does come back. Uh, we, we have uh, kind of written it off uh, for the time being, but I would observe that in many respects, when, when you think of um, what's happening at a wider society level, I mean, the, the point that labour is being disenfranchised is, is clearly a pertinent one, but the absence of inflation, it also means a lack of intergenerational wealth transfer. It's also a factor that's driving income inequality. Uh, and actually this almost the, the stability um, um, of, of, of economies and, and, and also of, of very low cash rates is actually driving politics to become more volatile and more extreme. Uh, and in as much as um, uh, voters who come through feel disenfranchised that the, uh, the boomers have effectively robbed them of their future, uh, you, you can see that actually there, there'll be an agenda which could actually push towards um, uh, doing things which are a bit more extreme and, and, and obviously in, in, in the current election campaign in, in the UK we, we obviously have uh, a party like Labour uh, representing a very stark choice to the Conservative agenda uh, and, and there is some sense that maybe there is there's this uh, a normal, uh, uh, abnormal sort of once in a generational opportunity in terms of fiscal space that could be utilised to actually spend a lot of money. Um, now ultimately what I would infer here is that uh, if inflation stays too dead for too long, 
um, uh, the, the path towards Japanification may work in a country like Japan where uh, society is very tolerant of, of such an outcome, but in the society in which we live within uh, uh, sort of westernized economies, uh, there, there may be a, a sense in which people reach for uh, more radical outcomes. I mean, even in Latin America today, we're, we're seeing a bit of a uprising and a rage against the machine. And I'm not saying we're returning to the 1980s, but there, there could be a moment where uh, actually the, um, uh, the, the, the whole dial flips in the other direction. I think to me, I've said this for some time, and I've been waiting for it to evolve, but it comes down, it touches on Nigel's point really, is that <coughs> the, the dichotomy between fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus. And for me, we've run out of bullets from a monetary stimulus point of view. And part of the interesting uh, position in the US uh, you know, 18 months ago was we started to see a backdrop of the Fed raising rates, but at the same time, partly offset by Trump tax reforms. And We've not seen the full transmission benefit of that because tariffs essentially have, have, have muddied that water. But to me, actually, you know, why would we be supportive of fiscal stimulus is just recognising that actually there comes a point in time in terms of long-term investment into the economy that we need to do that. And so all of the parties in the election in the UK, but more generally in Europe and the US, are talking about increased fiscal, fiscal spending, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing as long as it's done in a disciplined way. The pro classically what happens though is as of a knee-jerk response, so you get a massive splurge of spending which is not uh, productive, um, um, actually just triggers wage inflation and, and creates more of a problem, um, then, then that is a real future challenge. But to me, actually, I think it's quite healthy for us to see uh, strategic long-term fiscal deployment, um, and that will then at least allow uh, central bankers to, to rearm uh, the, sort of the monetary gun for the next crisis that comes down the, uh, down the track. Exactly that. I mean, look, I, I don't know who's been in the yeah. U.S., you've just been in the U.S. I mean, fly to New York. I mean, the infrastructure is absolutely dreadful. So LaGuardia is the first new airport in the U.S. for 25 years. I mean, the, the dearth of infrastructure there is... Really? I mean, you take a, a, a car, we have an office in Connecticut, and it's uh, the number of potholes on the road. It gives you a bad back uh, uh, just going along the freeway. So the country is gagging, it's crying out for infrastructure spending. It's actually been a surprise, actually, given Trump's uh, inner, more democratic leanings, that we actually haven't seen more progress on infrastructure. And if we do get re-election, uh, uh, then, then I do think that we are going to see... Of, of Trump. 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 You, you think he'll spend. Um, I, th I think that you will see uh, infrastructure feature um, uh, as a more significant uh, feature of policy on a forward-looking basis. Even though he promised it last time, it was a big part of the, the ticket, the bill they were... Well, it's, it's the bit that is still left undone, right? So it well, could the be the, the challenge for the second term. Uh, I think the two, yeah. the two things we've had, I think fiscal I entirely uh, 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 agree with. Um, I think the other developments we might see, I think QE is sort of reaching its limits, and I, I feel it's going to evolve <coughs> into some sort of yield curve management and we might get something that resembles a little the US in the immediate post-war years where the Federal Reserve of New Bank of New York was instructed to intervene every time the Treasury market went above 2.5% yield. Let's pick a number today, it could be 1.5%. And actually, it just becomes politically unacceptable to have a bond market sell-off, and we actually get direct intervention of the bond yields a little bit along the lines of what we've seen in Japan. I think the second thing we've probably got to prepare for is some sort of regulation of technology. 
and I think these sort of zero marginal cost businesses, which just get unlimited increasing returns to scale, probably need the regulator to step in. So if you put fiscal yield curve management and regulation of tech, you get quite a different financial backdrop and hugely different leadership in the equity markets. Unpick that uh, regulation of tech. So that's m well beyond taxation. You think you want breaking, up, monop <coughs> breaking up monopolies? Uh, breaking up monopolies. Breaking up monopolies, um, declaring some of them effectively as utilities, you know, managed returns, <coughs> because um, the, the irony of the growth stock market, the tech growth stock market is not only do you get the best growth, but you get the best cash flow. So it's not like 99 where you had a boom in asset prices but no underlying returns. Now you look at the, the cash flow of the big techs, you've got, it's yes, very difficult yes. to get off the train. Yes. So I think government will more than likely step in and I think we've all probably got to prepare portfolios for that. So that would be a negative for the US in terms of equity markets? In relative terms, yes. But there doesn't seem to be any other mechanism apart from the regulator. Does anyone else? I mean, that scenario, which is an interesting one, you painted. I agree. I agree with that. I, I think do. definitely. And history suggests that. If you look at you know, in the early 20th century, where you had great empires built, they were broken up. Regulation came well, in. Like railways. And think, and yeah, railways and oil and all that. You know, you 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 you're kind of going to see a similar thing the happening. Cloud, I, I would agree. Is, is that for for our generation? The, the cloud. Yeah, it's the equivalent of railroads or. or Why? Because it's or, just Amazon, Microsoft, and it's controlled really by four principal operators these days. Amazon, Microsoft. Uh, well, Cisco, key, key driver, Google. Google, Google, yeah. Google and of course, Alibaba and, um, and oh, Tencent. Yes. No one's mentioned China. China is interesting in the inflation issue. China's got a horrible inflation problem today. I mean, triggered by port prices and a number of other things. I mean, they're going to print numbers over 5%. Um, India's got an inflation problem. So EM is inheriting some of the problems that were issues for us 20 years ago uh, are coming back. They do have volume growth as well, though, which we don't have, don't they? I mean, they've got so one, one, uh, so one thing I just raise on that from a UK perspective, so part of the reason why I think we've, we've not grown as fast as we have, and we've had to have that monetary stimulus as long as we've had, is the fact that the outstanding sort of um, DB pension scheme immunisation. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Outstanding DB pension scheme immunisation. I think we have to put that into layman's language. Please. So defined benefit pension schemes. Yes, essentially, there's a corporate responsibility for, to meet those future obligations. Yes. And for a lot of corporates, that's effectively stifled investment for a considerable period of time. Yes. And most of them have aimed to immunise their liabilities. So Through LDI and stuff like that. Etc. And so you've had just mandatory buying of long-dated government bonds. It's why right. the Lincoln market in the UK, right. you know, is, well, I mean, it's, it's, its valuation defies logic right. um, and, and right. the inflationary assumptions in, in inherent in that. And so that's been a structural trade now for almost 20 years. Has it played out? No. Um, curiously, if you had a Labour government and the spending plans they're talking about, they might issue enough long-dated stuff to, to solve the problem. But my point is that I think you've actually had you know, slower economic growth because there's been an obligation to want to fund that. And curiously, by dropping rates as much as we have, you've actually just made the, you, each time you do it, the, yeah. the liability gets bigger. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is we're now starting to overcome 
that sort of proverbial, I don't know, sort of rat in the snake type right. uh, moment. And, therefore, and then actually then start to see, you know, constructive capital redeploying again. So, you know, the IG market takes over from long-dated government bonds. I think really driving and the, the point on long-dated guilt valuations is something I feel very keenly. When you end up in a situation where investors are being effectively forced to put money into assets yielding a real yield of minus three for 20 or 30 years, you're, con you're condemning them to lose more than half their money in real terms. This is just bonkers. Uh, and it shows you that, that actually this is a, a policy failure because yeah. intrinsically where you're forcing pensions into such assets effectively uh, and you're then valuing liabilities based yes. on those inflated valuations yeah. of those bonds. Yeah. Uh, effectively, you're, you're forcing companies to put money into pension schemes, which could be going to jobs and investment. This seems to me uh, financial madness and a real failure in policy uh, and something that I, I've, I've personally spoken quite uh, at length uh, to the Labour, Labour leadership about. In, What's in the, the solution? Well, the, the solution is you, you actually um, have a lot more issuance of, of said instruments. If a government can't actually uh, achieve a rate of return that's better than minus three real, uh, they probably aren't a government worth having, are they? I mean, you, you'd like to think you can achieve a better rate of return than that. Uh, and intrinsically, that's where we speak about a once-in-a-generation uh, sort of fiscal space that exists for... Uh, for, for governments to potentially to exploit. And I do think it is going to get exploited and I endorse the idea that we're going from a world of, of monetary um, uh, expansion towards uh, fiscal expansion. So can I ask, is the sort of Reinhardt Rogoff 100% of debt to GDP, is that dead? Uh, Sorry, can we have this in English, please? So um, uh, after the financial crisis, two US academics led a piece which said there is academic evidence that if debt to GDP rises persistently above 100%, that's government debt, yes. you get a deterioration in growth prospects and worse productivity dynamics. I, I think that that is outdated nonsense actually now. It was debunked because, at the time actually. Wasn't it? Because the reality is what counts is what you're actually spending in terms of your interest cost as a percentage of GDP, uh, not the ratio per se. Uh, the, the reason for such a ratio is it's uh, assuming intrinsically uh, some sort of a, a tailor rule where you're looking at interest rates based on inflation expectations where bond yields sit at 5% or some such rate. In that sort of world, you, you may want to cap that level of uh, uh, indebtedness at a national level. Uh, but the reality is if you're a country like Japan where you're paying nothing as a borrowing cost, you can actually have a very large um, uh, debt to GDP without it actually being an impediment to growth. So that would argue that if yields did rise one day, governments would have to step in. I think that if you ended up seeing a more material rise in, in, in yields, yeah. you would then end up needing to um, uh, back off uh, expansive fiscal policy. But at the same time, if it's coming with inflation, you've actually inflated away some of the debt. So, so I, I would just sort of make the point strongly that I think that there is fiscal room, there is fiscal opportunity. Uh, I think that uh, the whole idea of austerity has actually been a very bad idea over the course so of the So MMT is good? Sorry, MMT. Modern, modern monetary theory. Right. Sorry. Well, I, I, th I think that we're 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 seeing a big shift in the pendulum. Anyway, um, we, we've uh, we've done everything we could in terms of QE and monetary policy, 
uh, more expansive fiscal policy certainly is the future. And, and, and if I was an equity investor looking for opportunities in green technology, it seems blindly obvious that, that this is going to be an area that sees a lot of institutional investment on a forward-looking basis. Green technology. I think the one thing just to, to, to add to that mix is that we've got to break the culture uh, that we've had in the equity market for you know, almost 20 years now of de-equitisation, which has affected yeah. the capital arbitrage. And so whilst I, I, I promote the fiscal piece, I'm always worried when it's led by government. They're not fantastically great allocators of capital. They're great at providing sort of national infrastructure type projects and things like that. But ultimately, the way I'd like to see that operate effectively is give you the opportunity to deploy you know, for long-term investment, pensions, et cetera, to buy those assets. So the government sort of does the sort of design and build phase and then hands the operating asset on. So you can either do it through linker financing, yes. so in, issue linkers to, to, yeah. to pension schemes and say you've got conversion rights when assets are constructed, et cetera, as a way of making sure the capital remains productive and is held to account rather than just blindly allocated. Um, so I think the, the other thing is then looking at corporates, how do we incentivize business to actually invest rather than play capital arbitrage? Now that has to be, get the balance right, how much relief do you get on interest? Uh, and almost where does, what's the tax position for long-term capital allocation from a dividend perspective. Now, I personally think if we just take the UK specifically at the moment, we need to go back to a position that actually recognises the benefit of long-term capital allocation. So we should see uh, dividends uh, uh, for uh, businesses that are UK-based to generate UK profits actually be able to di distribute gross to long-term pension schemes and things like that. Oh, so you want to reverse Gordon Brown's chain? Yeah, and I think what you'd see is curiously you might get actually international companies who have invested in the UK list in the UK because they can pay out uh, you know, uh, gross dividends as opposed to net distributions. Well, the reason it happened essentially is that the Treasury was losing money because predominantly the FTSE 100, 80% of earnings were overseas, tax paid overseas, oh, yeah. were then paying out dividends gross yes. and not having received the, the, the credit. So if you effectively actually enable long-term allocators of capital and, and it's paid franked income in the UK and you distribute it, the government received it, passed on and says, you are long-term capital allocators investing into the UK. We can actually generate economic growth. So to me, those are the two important things. Use the linker market to fund you know, national infrastructure and then at the same time, from a corporate perspective, provide additional incentive for equity capital as opposed to just refinancing of debt. Debt's an important instrument. It's part of the financing structure, but the long-term deployment needs equity. It have to have some risk that comes with it and you need that additional return that comes back. Bullish or bearish? For markets overall? Yes. Pretty moderate returns, I think. I mean, the one, the one support is, is monetary policy, which is still there, and it still, we think, will remain there. But it's at its, its limits, as, as we've said. There's, there's not much more it can do, apart from possibly you know, average infla inflation, inflation targeting, maybe helicopter money, but that's it. And so we really can't give much more stimulus, but it will remain because the central banks are so concerned about remo removing it. Um, but growth is, is pretty pedestrian, and that's macro, that's everywhere, that's, you know, corporate profits have, 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 have um, come to a halt, so you're not going to get any stimulus, you know, from that. Valuation levels on an absolute basis are not particularly attractive, but on a relative basis for equities are. So I think that gives you overall a bit of a moderate return with a bit more volatility because you've got trade wars and that's, you know, and then you will get the uncertainty about monetary policy because they'll probably try something. So I think that gives you moderate returns, a bit more volatility, which is, you know, more, more of the same. I mean, it's been actually a bit better than that this year. 
um, because you've had more of a stimulus from monetary policy than one an anticipated at the beginning. And we've had a big change this year, haven't we? You know, if we sat here a year ago, you know, we were looking at tightening. We were talking about rates rising yes. in the US. Yeah, and, you know, you, you've years. had that complete turnaround. And the you know, investors have kind of seen that and, and reacted to that. And I think, I think Lucy's absolutely right. I think the underlying, the underlying fundamentals are kind of okay. You know, we're in this sort of slow growth kind of world. We don't believe we're going into a recession next year. But, you know, we are at the end of quite a, you know, we're towards the latter end of, of a quite a long cycle. And so we are very much dependent on the monetary conditions to kind of keep that impetus going. Mm. The one thing I'd take exception though to that uh, is I don't think we're near the end of the cycle. I, I hear a lot of narrative about the US being late cycle, uh, but it doesn't look late cycle at all to me, frankly, in, in, in as much as you see growth at trend, inflation pretty much at trend, uh, monetary policy is re relatively uh, accommodative. Economic cycles don't tend to die of old age. They die when financial conditions become very restrictive. Mm -hmm. That normally comes about because normally in a normal economic cycle, you end up with some greed, some leverage, some overheating. That, that begets the, the more restrictive uh, monetary policy. We're just not seeing that in, in this particular economic cycle. And because of that, um, because inflation is very low, you can see how uh, rates remain relatively accommodative for a fairly extended period. And consequently, I mean, the US economy is now 10 years into an expansion. Who's to say it's not got another 10? It's almost like the marathon runner that may look a bit knackered, but keeps on going, um, would, would always be uh, my observation. So it's not fashionable to say this time is different, but in Australia, we're 20 years plus into an expansion. Uh, and so I, I would say right off the US economy at your peril, at the same time, when it comes to markets, uh, look, we're not going to see beta returns in 2020 like we saw beta returns in 2019, that's for sure. But do I think markets can beat cash, beat inflation? Yeah, probably. Uh, but it's more of an environment where um, the opportunity really sits in active management in identifying the winners and the losers. So Mark, do you see government bond deals going lower next year or higher? I don't think they go a long way, well, in, not, not in the US anyway. I, I don't think the Fed is going to do anything in an election year next year. And if, if cash rates don't really move, it's hard to see Treasury yields moving a lot. Uh, I think the, the, the country where you could see a bit more of a move in yields in an upward direction would actually be here in the UK, because here we do seem to be, unlike the rest of Europe, which is very reluctant to, to push the fiscal button, in the UK it does seem like the penny has dropped. Uh, and we are the one economy that's racing towards that more fiscally expansive stance. I think that's a cut. Thank you. Thank you.